All right. Brian and Abram, are you on? Brian's here. Hi, Brian. This is Abram. Hey, how are you? I'm doing okay. Um, just got some uh, difficult news, and so I'm kind of processing that a little bit. I hear you. Well, best wishes to you. I'm sorry to hear that. Abram? Uh, I think I'm going to go back in the music, Sam, um, to the to our default song um, for lack of, right. of anything more creative. Okay. Oh, and my Wi-Fi is not loading. All right, I'm going to just skip the music here. Uh, my Wi-Fi is not loading as the as I was chatting with Sam before we got on the air. The um, Spectrum Wi-Fi just opened up uh, public internet, and everyone's uh, internet is now kind of a little bit slower. But that's okay. We yep. did, we used to not have internet, so we'll all survive. You got to hit the hit the beatbox. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I could sing a song. Hey, maybe I'll bring a guitar out here. Yeah, I'll just sing a song. I think Brian's the only musician on this call. So, uh, Brian, can you do something for us? All right now. <laughs> yeah, magic. Uh, that's Thank you, you, Brian. So with that, I'm going to say welcome, everyone, to The Radical Bureaucrat, a podcast for people who want to change institutions from the inside. Today is Tuesday. Thank you for that, Brian. <laughs> Today is Tuesday, <laughs> March 24th, uh, and things are suddenly uh, feeling extremely serious here in New York City. Uh, and we want to acknowledge one story in particular that hits close to home for many in our communities um, I want to acknowledge the passing of uh, Dizan Romain. Uh, and if I'm mispronouncing that, that's only out of uh, n- not knowing Dizan personally. Um, but Principal Romain uh, was a principal of Brooklyn Democracy Academy in Brownsville, New York. Uh, many people know the, the long storied history of the Ocean Hill, Brownsville area. Um, and... Uh, there's additional news out of Brownsville um, of other community leaders who, um, who are confirmed cases or are in the hospital. Um, and so, you know, all across the organization, people are sort of like really feeling uh, the organization that Sam and I work for, at least uh, in, in the city of New York, that people are really feeling this um, moment. Uh, I think there's a lot of fear. Um, and at the same time, I think there's a, a lot of mourning that today, just today, is starting to hit us. Uh, and I think we're probably going to be this way for a while. And so before we jump into a podcast that talks about kind of some of the more technical aspects and, and where we go from here, we, we wanted to take a moment to pause and acknowledge um, that story in particular and the many like it that are unfolding all around us. Right. Okay. Thanks for opening that up, Abram. And and uh, starting with that sentiment. And then, you know, on top of that, to give some more context to the exact moment we're in, uh, this morning Governor Cuomo said that the rate of increase of infection in New York State is doubling every three days. The curve is going up, and he's saying that we're going to peak higher and sooner than predicted. So 
it's a definitely a scary time, um, and we know a lot of people are being impacted very directly. And we we're like Abram said, we're starting to hear about it right away. Um, but that then brings us to what we're talking about today. We were really interested to talk to someone in another part of the country that faced this before us, just to get another perspective. Yesterday, we spoke to someone in South Korea who also, you know, faced the coronavirus before us, and I uh, definitely recommend you, you listen to our episode with Jake and Cho. Um, today, we're talking with an old friend of mine, Brian Salter. Uh, as you heard, he can... He knows how to beatbox pretty well. Um, Brian and I also spent quite a few Sundays playing touch football in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Shout out to the uh, PPFL. He's a marketing executive in the beverage industry. He's lived in Seattle now with his family, so we're talking to Seattle, Washington. Uh, he's lived there for the last two and a half years, and he's generally a curious, well-rounded, athletic dude. So welcome to the podcast, Brian. Well, thank you much. I appreciate the, uh, the generous introduction. Yeah. So, Brian, can you give us some context just to how things, like, tell us where you are, um, how you are, and how things have been in Seattle? Yeah, I'll do my best. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a heavy question, you know, um, even just starting with something like that. So. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you pretty much nailed it. I'm I'm here in Seattle, um, and pretty much in the city of Seattle in a neighborhood called Ballard, um, which is uh, mm -hmm. traditionally like a, a fishing industry um, neighborhood, which is just kind of like an interesting anecdote about it. Um, I think mm. in relationship to uh, coronavirus at least like it's just weird I, I i was going through some old text messages and i was thinking through to myself like when did i hear about this and how long has it been on on my head um and i think it was late january when mm -hmm. i first started getting text messages around it and around the seriousness of it um and at the time i don't think i was taking it particularly seriously it felt like something that was far um, couldn't get my arms around it. Didn't really seem to impact me, but very quickly. So like, I want to say I probably first heard about it January 22nd, right? Like mm. mid, to, mid to late January. Um, but very quickly it started to impact me, um, mm -hmm. both locally, uh, just like in the area, mm -hmm. um, and how people are talking about it and how it's impacting people here. But then also, uh, professionally as well, just like with all the conferences that got canceled. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I work in the natural food industry and mm -hmm. there's a huge conference that takes place um, in Southern California in Anaheim, uh, just next to the campus of Disneyland. And that was to take place in February. And very quickly, people started to understand like, hey, maybe having an international conference on Food where people are coming from international origins and getting together to sample like bits of food over like tables and surfaces and shaking hands and trading and sharing food might not be the best format mm -hmm. for right. a conference, like hundreds of thousands of people, right? Right. Mm -hmm. 
And it was something that we <laughs> sunk a lot of costs into. I mean, this is really from a marketing perspective and, you know, from a business perspective, this is our Super Bowl of all right. events. Um, you know, this is when all of our customers are going to be under one roof, right? We're talking about like the Costco's and the Whole Foods and, you know, like all the folks under one roof talking about natural foods, innovation within national, uh, natural foods, um, lots of opportunities to make actual business deals in this environment, tons of sunken costs. And at the end of the day, we had to pull the plug. Um, I was actually proud that we were able to make that decision as an organization. But then after we had made that decision, they decided to cancel the conference as a whole. Right. Mm. So, like that to me was probably the kickoff of when I knew yeah. that this was going to be a lot more serious than what I had anticipated initially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's it, what's it like in Seattle in terms of, do people feel like, cause you, I, I think Seattle is probably like three weeks ahead of New York. Um, mm -hmm. And so th does it feel like you've reached the peak yet? Um, what's, what are people saying and how does it feel? This has changed at breakneck speed. Mm -hmm. Things have changed so quickly. So, like, I think you're not wrong in what you said, right? Seattle's been going through it. Uh, the state of Washington has been going through it for at least three weeks to maybe a month, right? Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I think, um, like, from a policy perspective and from a response perspective, I think um, the government of Washington has probably... Uh, set the pace for mm -hmm. a lot of our nation's response. Mm -hmm. That said, honestly, where you guys are, and I have roots in New York for sure, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I'm more worried about you guys right now than I am mm -hmm. in Seattle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just, I mean, the somber note that this program opened with. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. um, you know, for lack of a better term, like New York just ain't built for that life. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like the, you know, I mean, you guys know it, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the proximity factor is is just not advantageous for us to beat this thing. Um, mm -hmm. And so right now where I am, I feel like you're right. Seattle has set the pace in many ways, mm -hmm. but it feels like New York has caught up and surpassed Seattle at, mm -hmm. within the last, like, within the last week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do get the sense when we talk to people, when I talk to people around the country, they're always like, wow, New York, like it's, it's definitely getting a lot of press, um, around the country. And, uh, and that may be a reflection of the reality. I mean, it's hard to say. Um, I think it's about to get yeah. a lot more press. Yeah. And so I just one more question about, about Seattle, cause I, I do want to bring it back to this, what this is like for you personally, but, um, in, well, this does kind of get to your personal story. So now you've, you've been basically on lockdown for a, a few more weeks than us. And you, you and I joked when we talked before the call about, you said, like, in some ways, just your lifestyle, the way that you, you work from home and things like that, you already uh, were working from home so much. And so many of your relationships and friendships were still on the East Coast. And so it wasn't like you were doing a lot of socializing there. But you... I know that you're still more locked in than locked down than you were before this started. And I'm just wondering 
in, in your experience and your observation, what's it like now to be locked down three weeks or four weeks as opposed to where we are in, in just like a week and a half? Like, yeah. how does the experience change? What, do, what should we be um, anticipating? So it's, la- it's super layered. So th- I think there's a lot of perception and reality. Um, and then there's also the language that we use to describe our state, right? So mm-hmm. like, like you just use the word lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. Other states use the word shelter in place. Mm-hmm. Now states are starting to use stay at home. And mm-hmm. each one of these things, like as a marketing guy, each one of these things connotes a different experience related to mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, lockdown is not how I would characterize what we are currently doing here in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would probably call it, and you're right, it's been going on longer here than, say, like in New York. But mm-hmm. how I would call it would be like a recommendation, mm-hmm. a list of recommendations uh, as as to how we should go about managing our personal lives during this crisis. Mm -hmm. It does not feel overly mandated by the government. Mm -hmm. And I'm speaking for myself, right? Like someone else might have a different opinion on it. There have been some changes, right? So like restaurants, bars, taverns, um, they've closed their doors and they've opened up their takeout. Um, And there have been serious impacts to various, uh, consumer-based and customer-based industries, mm-hmm. um, especially restaurants, bars, taverns, retail. Um, a lot of part-time workers who work in these industries have been hit really hard and mm-hmm. are, frankly, out of work um, or just, like, greatly reduced income. Um and honestly, I would say those are probably the biggest impacts that I've seen mm-hmm. in the area. Um, from my experience, um, I've noticed that people are obviously on edge, right? So like when mm-hmm. you go to your local coffee shop, Seattle has a lot of those, right? Mm-hmm. You go to your coffee shop, you bring it up and you talk to people. Everybody's very hyper aware of it. Um, but I'll also share with you, like this past weekend, for example, the weather was great, you know, um, and I saw a lot of people posting online, like in their local park, right? Because this is part of the guidelines that go out to folks, like go outside, mm-hmm. enjoy the outdoors, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a counterintuitive response that I've noticed where everybody is going outdoors at the same time. Mm-hmm. And and the park system that we have here is not built for everyone to mm-hmm. go at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like folks have these guidelines and lists of recommendations, and they feel like they're being responsible. They're doing the right thing. They're trying to stay six feet apart from people. Mm-hmm. But when they're out there, like, it's hard, right? Because you've just got, like, hundreds of people just outdoors enjoying themselves, you know? Right. Um, should they feel bad about being outside and enjoying themselves? I don't think so, right? Because there's also, like, this shaming culture that's come along with this whole thing, too. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, like, like, oh, you're selfish. What are you doing outside? Like, right. get back inside, right? Um, right? I have to say, like, right now, it just feels like a list of guidelines 
that people are trying their best to adhere to, but mm-hmm. without the accountability and without it being streamlined into, um, I don't know, like a formal response that's regulated by the city or by the government or yeah. some sort of organizing body in some kind of way. Yeah. It feels like the impact, the overall result that we're trying to create is not necessarily happening. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just seeing, I saw a graph on uh, on Twitter today that I hope it's from a reputable source to have it. You know, this thing just popped up, but it showed the, the actual curve of the U.S. in terms of cases compared to other countries. And ours is just bananas, like by far the worst. And so, yeah, I mean, we're seeing, I mean, I'm going to make it a little bit political, but like, we're seeing the inefficacy either of our cultural response or a government response. And at the same time, we're seeing uh, leaders at all levels kind of jostling for the mic and, and seeing the benefit. Like the more mic time you get, the more press conferences you get seems to be the better the response. Um, right. So this is a, what, what you're talking about makes me feel really pessimistic. Um, Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I, I hope not to be the yeah. I, I you know, and that's no, I already like, felt bad. <laughs> <laughs> bad. It is what it is. It is what yeah. it is. It is what know? it is. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, um, like like you said, like you and I spoke last week, right? So much has changed even from that time, you know. Mm. And right now, I really find myself straddling that line between being alarmist and realistic. Mm-hmm. Um things are changing very quickly, you know, like I told that story about how we canceled our participation in that um, natural food conference in Anaheim, California. If, as I like get in my DeLorean and go back in time to that moment, Mm -hmm. of course we're not doing that. Right. Right. Yeah. That was the right right call. Yeah. Yeah. Of course we're not doing that. But like at the time, that was a huge decision to make for us right. and our company and all of the costs associated with it. And so when I think about if I get back in my DeLorean and go three weeks into the future, like what are the decisions that we're making now that are just going to be like, of course, you know, right? because that's how quickly our reality is changing. Yeah, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but at the same time, and, and some of it is just like, like you guys are now doing like a real time, like, like live, more lifestyle podcast. Like, right. I think some of that, that's the impact of that format that you guys have chosen because it's just changing day to day, week to week. There's yep. so much changing right now. Yeah. So we, we like to ask our guests, um, just to ground it in your, bringing it back down just to your personal experience, what's an important challenge that you as an individual are facing today, um, be it at home or, you know, work or, or combination? What's, the, what's yeah. the challenge that's most present on your mind? So I think the obvious stuff is just like the constant personal accountability of like, am I staying at, am I staying at home enough? Am I reducing contact enough? Am I making the right decisions to make sure people are safe, not just myself, but my neighbors and et cetera, right? So mm-hmm. I feel like that's like the personal calculus that I'm going through day by day. From mm-hmm. 
a work perspective, you know, so you didn't mention at the top, I, I'm in marketing, but I specifically my lane is doing events and right. even more specifically creating experiences for consumers at these events, right? Well, that's not happening right now. Like we're not doing events, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's not the priority, number one. And number two, I mean, like, I mean, you can't do an event with under 10 people, right? So one of the biggest things, and, you know, for me has been, okay, how can I be nimble? And what are the pivot points that I can create where I can still do effective marketing, but to make it authentic and Mm -hmm. to find areas where I can help people Mm -hmm. within, within that. Yeah. So like really identifying the corporate responsibility angle. Um, and it has to be done right, you know, um, because like I talked about walking that fine line, the line that I find myself walking right now is providing the basic guiding principle to myself and my team that number one, we're not looking for likes. We're not looking for promotion. Mm-hmm. We're looking to help people. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's got to be our like underlying guideline. That mm-hmm. said, we still have to operate in a way that is authentic to our positioning of our brand. Mm-hmm. And so it still has to make sense in some kind of way. Right. Mm-hmm. So right. like, it doesn't make sense for, I don't know, it, it makes sense for a fireman to help people who are in burning buildings. Mm-hmm. Right. It makes less sense for a fireman to be like helping people who are, I don't know, like need help to get to the grocery store. Right. Right. And so I think about that from the perspective of my brand as well. Like what makes sense for us to do out there and what is the positioning of our brand so that we can actually use our resources to help people. Um, And that's been the challenge because you guys, you know, you talk about like bureaucracy, right? Mm -hmm. How do I work within the resources Mm -hmm. of of my company to pivot quickly to the circumstances that are facing us now and reallocate those resources in ways that are going to make sense. And how do I hit the levers across the entire organization so that we can align and, and create difference in mm-hmm. a way that's actually beneficial for people. And that's, yeah. that's the hardest thing for me professionally right now. And quite frankly, it's what I'm losing sleep over. Yeah. Well, that's going to be a challenge for the rest of your life. <laughs> Let you know that. That's basically what our whole podcast is about. Sure. <laughs> so, um, and But I'm glad that you said that uh, because I think that you stated the challenge very clearly. And it's interesting because we talk to people who, and Abram and I talk about this ourselves, it's people who work in government agencies or, or nonprofit organizations who, in a sense, are facing the same conundrum. Ostensibly, the mission is is supposed to help society, but even in an organization where the mission is there to help, it doesn't always work that way. And yeah, so then right. you're inside this institution and you're like, how do I stay in my lane? 
we call it, how do you rock the boat and not fall out? Like, how mm-hmm. do I stay in my lane and uh, do what I'm there to do, but do it in a way that shifts things in, you know, a more, uh, in, a, in a direction that is more uh, pointing towards social justice. And I think the crisis right now makes that responsibility feel more present for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but But it's kind of, the question we should be asking in all industries all the time a hundred percent yeah and it's hard right like i think you know some of those questions and answers are um perhaps more prevalent and responsive in areas like education and i'm sure there's a ton of bureaucracy around like actually implementing change and impacts and results Mm -hmm. and all that stuff right but like in a corporate environment like very often i mean i think Finally, people get it in corporate America that consumers respond to um, messages related to social justice. Right? Yeah. And I think, I think corporations understand that that's what consumers respond to. But we also have to understand that the motivation seems to be around what consumers respond to and satisfying that need over actually doing good in the world. Yeah. And I think that what motivates us, what pushes us to have that boat rock but not turn over is important. Yeah. 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 I mean, it seems like there's always at least two missions. One, the mission, um, you know, the, uh, the, the masthead mission, you know, the leadership, you know, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And then the mission of the greater uh, social or public or common good, right? The, and that's where we develop people, right? Where we, where we think about, um, you know, how people stretch themselves and, and achieve goals they didn't think they could achieve before. That, that doesn't, that's, not ju- that's not always the most efficient for the bottom line method to take the time to like really develop people or teach people or take care of people, give people the space they need to take care of themselves in a time like this. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. like that, yeah. that deeper humanizing element, right. Um, yeah. Is the thing that sometimes is lost in the transactional world. That is the marketplace. You know, we, we still so have to get transactions done, yeah. but, but let's not lose that human part. I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned, you mentioned transactions, right? Because so often what we get lost in are these transactional moments, mm. right? And it can't be when you enter into a conversation really about anything, right? It can't just be about, okay, I'm here for a stated purpose. What can you do for me to help realize that goal, right? Like, it's got to be, and this is a you know a term that everybody uses, I think, kind of ubiquitously nowadays. But it's got to be about sustenance. How can we sustain life, mm-hmm. and through the meeting of these two individuals in one place at this time, like how can we merge our goals together right. to create sustenance, life, and growth? Yeah, and very exactly. often, especially within like the marketing decision tree, we get caught into these transactional, situational mm-hmm. conversation. Yep. 
and we get lost in a deficit model because we operate out of our fears mm. and we don't think through what are the opportunities and growth here? Like, can we come together and not necessarily know what the benefit is going to be? But right. Can we just we make space together, for, can we just make space for curiosity and experimentation there together? You go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How can we collaborate? How can we collaborate? And I mean, this is one of the things that we talk about collaborative business things, right? Like let's both come to the table. You tell me what your goals are. I'll tell you what my goals are. And then let's come to an understanding where we can identify opportunities of growth. But when you come to that table and you already have like all of your objectives locked in, you're operating out of the deficit model. And so like what you're talking about, Abram, is how do you develop people, but also how do you scale ideologies? How do we identify what people will actually respond to? Right? Because it's very difficult to develop an individual when you scale that out to the hundreds of millions of individuals that we're trying to impact change on. But if there's an ideology where folks have empowerment to develop themselves within that model, then there could be hope for growth. And right now, I do find that we're very splintered, we're very fractured. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult to achieve those things without an effective ideology that people can get behind. Yeah. And I know it's like super like out there and in the clouds and it's hard to lock that down without like examples and case sure. studies, but uh-huh. I don't know. Well, that's the work. We've got time to write some case studies. So, so we've got to, <laughs> <laughs> we've got to, uh, shut things down. I'd love, I could sit here for a few more hours and kind of talk about all this, but, um, yeah. I don't know that anybody would listen that long. Um, so, so, so as we close out, I just want to ask what we try to ask everyone that comes on uh, The Radical Bureaucrat, which is, what's one thing that's bringing you a sense of calm in the midst of this storm? I still very much want to end on an optimistic note. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, like, what, what I normally do to bring myself calm um, is actually try to be as productive with my downtime as possible by listening to podcasts. I know that sounds, <laughs> <laughs> like that's usually what brings me calm, right? So like, you know, my day is so busy. I got to load the dishwasher or maybe like my wife would probably say like, why aren't you loading the dishwasher? Um, but <laughs> you know, I, try to, I try to engage my mind um, with productive thought during menial tasks. Right. That yeah. said, Right now, it's hard because mm. a lot of those podcasts are crafting doomsday scenarios that get my mind spinning. Um, and so recently, I've caught myself just staring at my daughters when in a moment of levity mm-hmm. and just smiling. And that's all I got. That'll do it. That'll do it. How old are your daughters now, Brian? They're four. Twins. Yeah. Wow. So beautiful. And one of them's named Naima Sam. Ah. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. After the Coltrane song, not after my wife, I assume. That's exactly right. Yeah. right. <laughs> but still, <laughs> that's, what she, that's what my wife was named for as well. Yeah. Um, well, Brian, thank you so much for your time. Agreed. Thanks for thank joining you. us. Um, it's good to be back in touch. And uh, let's continue to, to stay in contact. Yeah, for sure. Thank you guys for 
asking me to participate. I, no one's really ever asked me for my thoughts before. So um, <laughs> I'm honored to be here. So thanks, guys, and stay safe. Well, they should. They should. They should. Take care, Brian. Take care. All right. Bye. So let's end like good radicals, Sam. What uh, what's one thing you walk away from all of that with uh, that you can use to create a more just and equitable world? Um, one is that uh, we need to, <laughs> we need to really talk about capitalism um, hmm. because you know what Brian is talking about seems so, you know, capitalism is not set up for corporations to do what he's talking about. Right. Um, At least not the way I understand. And Mm -hmm. and so uh, I thought it was really interesting to hear from someone in the corporate world. And I I applaud him for what he's doing. But, you know, to a certain extent, all of us in a capitalist society are are, are, are restricted some more than others in terms of trying to pursue a social justice vision and mission. so that's one. But the, the other thing is I thought he made a good point about language. You know, I had actually heard Governor Cuomo make the same point because he didn't want to call it a shelter in, but de Blasio wanted to call it a shelter in, and he Cuomo said language matters. Um, but I think we've naturally gravitated towards the, the word lockdown here in New York City, um, and that's not an official word. And uh, you and I started using it. I'm sure we're hearing it in other places. Mm-hmm. And it's just a reminder that that language matters, you know, and, and maybe maybe that's not the best term for what we're experiencing, uh, even if it feels like it. Because when we say it, we're speaking it into reality. And and maybe that's, that's not the way that mm-hmm. we should be talking about it. Because the truth is, we can go out and take walks. And the grocery store is still up open. And... Uh, so it's not true that everyone in New York City is locked in their apartment and can't go anywhere. Uh, as much as sometimes it feels like we're getting mixed messages around that, but but that's not the actual reality. Hmm. Yeah. But what I about s- you? I struggle with it a little, um, but I I appreciate what you're saying. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I don't. I think. I think. Uh, yeah. There's something to. I think lockdown, and the first thing I think of is uh, school shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, whoa, something's happening. Everybody stop what you're doing. Pay attention to this. Don't move. Um, right. And I guess that maybe that language was useful for a time, but maybe now it's it's more encumbering than it needs to be. Because it's not locked. Um, although, you know, you should lock yourself down. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, self lockdown, maybe it's self lockdown. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think the um, I think the conversation around this idea of transacting and and human connection, transacting and 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 a, a sort of culture of thriving or of of human thriving, you know. And I think you're right. Capitalism is not necessarily set up to that, except that. In the in the foundation of capitalism is uh, fear and greed. That uh, mm-hmm. and this is right. This is at the Adam Smith. A la, what what's the movie where they do this? The the there's like a I don't know. I don't know. I'll find the movie clip, everyone, or you can find it and tweet it to me. Um, we will not be editing that out. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing any editing, and we need to bring it in for a landing, right? 
Okay. Um, these are going to turn into three-hour podcasts, Sam. It's happening. <laughs> uh, so uh, at the root of capitalism is this fear and greed. This, uh, I will charge you as much as I can. That's the greed. And the, um, I'm afraid that you will go to someone else. I'll lose you as a customer. That's the fear that keeps you from overcharging. Um, mm -hmm. In that fear of losing the customer, in that fear of competition is the kind of, uh, I guess to use, to use sort of the Marxist language, the seeds of the destruction of that model, right? Um, mm -hmm. That like, this is what humans want. And if you want humans to buy your widget or your whatever, whatever your product, then you've got to right. attend to the humans. They're going to find out what you do with your workers yep. in a crisis. That's going to happen. Right, right. Um, so you, you should think about helping people before you think about, um, you know, the bottom line. It's so 80s. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. Should we wrap up there, Abram? We really should. Okay. So, everyone, if you're still listening, thank you so much. <laughs> thank and we you. know that you're here you for it. it. So we want to ask that you help us out. Uh, you can help us out by commenting on our Twitter handle when we post this episode or tweet this episode at, at Rad Bureau, uh, R-A-D-B-U-R-E-A-U. We also have a website that we haven't talked about, RadicalBureaucrat.com. On Sunday, I put up a blog post called Love, Collectivism, and Rasquachismo. Rasquachismo. Yes. It's a little bit of a mouthful. From Rasquache. You'll have to read the post to see what that's about, but it's really the, the, the big themes that have been swimming around in my mind for the last week or so. And um, maybe we'll talk about it on another episode. But yeah. Yeah, we've got to uh, do Check out uh, the website, comment on the blog, uh, tweet us at, on Twitter. And uh, sorry, Ibram, you were going to say something? Yeah, we've got to do a Just Me and Sam episode. We've had so many guests. I know. And we've got an amazing one tomorrow. Oh, man, uh, I can't wait for tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, we got David Kirkland from NYU Metro Center. So definitely check that one out. He is always fantastic. Mm -hmm. So let, we're going to end by being good bureaucrats. The views expressed here are our personal opinions and do not reflect the official or unofficial position of any government agency, policy, party, leader, or really anyone besides the two of us, and maybe you, but maybe not. This content has not been sponsored or approved by anyone and was mostly just made because we wanted an opportunity to talk about things that matter to everyone, whether they realize it or not. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>